Hey guys, my name is Pastor Greg. I'm the youth pastor here in the middle of the world. Today we're going to talk about how a giant boat made of gold flame represents Jesus in our times. So get ready, grab your Bibles, grab your notebooks, and let's get going. If you're joining us for the first time, I welcome you and I pray that this message reaches you with intention. Last week we kicked off a series that we started, we decided to call A Road to Emmaus. Right? We talked about the story of two men walking to a village called Emmaus, north of Jerusalem, and how a stranger we know as Jesus interrupted their conversation and started asking questions. Right? And he asked them, what are you talking about? He asked these two men, what are you, what are you discussing? And these two men began to tell and recount, and they began to witness to Jesus about the things that happened that week during Holy Week, from the triumphal entry into the cross and into the resurrection, and how they hoped that he would be the Savior of Israel. But then Jesus himself in that moment calls them foolish and asks them to, to believe a little bit more, right? to just believe a little bit more than they, they believe right now. And then Jesus begins his dissertation of the Old Testament, his survey of the Old Testament, and how the things of the Old Testament, how the things of the prophets concerning himself. right? And this all happened on the road to Emmaus. Right? You imagine this road trip and how crazy it was. right? And it's where our series begins, this series called A Road to Emmaus. We want to go through some of the stories that Jesus had touched on on the road to Emmaus concerning himself. Now, right where you are, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, we invite you into our homes. We invite you to be with us as we hear your word today. I ask you to open up, uh, open up our hearts, open up our ears and our minds for what you have for us, Lord, that we may receive what you are telling us, and that your spirit flow within our homes. And God, we're asking you to transform us, to change us, God, that this, world, that this word fall on good soil and that you grow it, Lord. And uh, we thank you already for what you're doing in our lives, God. We thank you, God, for our families. We thank you, God, for the things that you provide for us, God. We thank you, God, because you're already working within us, God. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. We all say amen. All right, so before we jump into the lesson, before we jump into what we're going to talk about today, I want to explain about what we're going to do today, right? There is something, uh, a kind of a Bible school term called types, right? It's a very simple term, T-Y-P-E, right? A type of Christ. And the short answer to this, that a type is a special kind of symbolism, it's a special kind of symbol, right? Now, a symbol is something that represents something else, right? You see a stop sign, an octagon that's red, it represents a symbol that means to stop, right? And in this case, a type of Christ is a simple is a symbol in the Old Testament that represents something in the future, in this case, Jesus Christ himself, right? And we see these throughout all the Old Testament. And this is where I want to start our series. We're going to touch on some of these stories uh, throughout the Old Testament that represent Christ in the future, right? And if this doesn't make sense to you at all, trust me, it will, right? Just stay with us, right? If uh, you want to open your Bibles, if not, it's going to be on the screen right here or below us. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 13 through 15, it says this. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Verse 14. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Verse 15. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 
30 cubits, right? So this is some instructions that God gave Noah. And if you don't, you don't, you don't catch on what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about Noah, right? And uh, some background to what's happening on. There's a, in this time, in the time that Noah lives, the people at the time would sin and then sin and sin without thinking of the consequence, right? Uh, they were described as wicked in the eyes of the Lord. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, which means that, um, that basically they, did, they disobeyed God completely. Now, if you remember what it means to sin, a sin is basically disobedience to God. So when we disobey God, we go against God's word. We're sinning before the eyes of the Lord, right? Which means that uh, everything they did was sinful. Everything they did was evil. That's the time that Noah lived in. The Bible says that every intent of their heart was evil continually, right? You imagine how dark a world has to be, that their intention of their hearts was evil, right? The world was corrupted. The people of this world were corrupted. And this was what was happening, that the people were sinful. The people sinned without consequence, and God had no choice but to do something about it. Right? So how does this apply to us? I was like, what? And it's just a quick verse of what's happening here. But how does this apply to us? In a world where our culture points to us rather than God, it's, it's, it's so easy to fall into sin. There's so many ways we can fall into sin in our world, and we have to be very careful. Right? We live in a time where information is easily accessed, and most of the information being processed is used to sin, right? to do something for ourselves rather than for God, right? to do something in disobedience to God, right? Now imagine a world stripped away of all digital media where the most primitive pleasures of the world only existed. This was Noah's world, right? Man only lived for man, right? There was no right, there was no one righteous, not even one, right? Their minds were flooded with corruption and violence, right? The result was were people full of sin, Right, that God resorted to destroying the world. Right, this is kind of how bad it got. Right, the people were so sinful that the only option was for God to destroy the world. And it's kind of crazy to think about. Right, but there is a question that comes to people's minds that I wanted us to answer during this verse. They read these verses like, "Wait, wait a minute. Did God mess up? Did God make a mistake?" Right, verse six says, "The Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth." And he was grieved in his heart. Now, a lot of people want to take this verse and, they, and a lot of people who want to dis- disprove God or, or disprove the Bible or disprove that God's perfection, they take this verse and kind of twist it. And they say, it's like, well, look, God messed up. I thought your God was perfect. So the question is, did God make a mistake? Did God mess up? And the answer is simple. God does not make mistakes. God is perfect in his ways. Right? His perfection and greatness don't allow nor leave any room for mistakes, for He is greater than we can even fathom, than we can even comprehend. He is greater than any of those things. Right? He knows exactly what's going on, and there are no dark corners in His mind. Right? There are no dark corners in front of Him. He never misses a single thing. He knows exactly what's happening at every single moment in time, and for even, even that's even eternity. Right? So considering the verse, the Lord was sorry that He made man on earth. And he was grieved in his heart. We have to read it as a whole. We have to read it together. When the Bible says the word sorry or regret pertaining to God, these words bring in thoughts of compassionate grief of the action that's about to be taken. The Lord was sorry for creating human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled because of what he was about to do. You guys know the story. We know the story on this side. We know what happened. But understand this, 
God did not consider the creation of man to be a mistake. We are not a mistake. When mankind was created, he said, it was very good, to quote the Bible. And on top of that, we are still here. If we are a mistake, why are we still here? If we are a mess up that God wanted to blot away from the earth, why is mankind still here? We're not a mistake. Sinful as can be, we are still here. Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounds forevermore. We're still here. We're not a mistake. And the most beautiful part about all of this is that he was about to show the whole world salvation for one of the first times in history. But in verse 8, we find out that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, meaning that Noah was doing something different. We find out later on in the scripture, 2 Peter 2.5 says, that, But preserve Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was doing something different. Noah was doing something we call preaching and witnessing right, to, the, uh, to the things of the Lord. Right? He would speak to a people who did not want to listen. Right? This was the audience that he spoke to. Right? He would speaking to a people that did not want to hear about Christ. Sound familiar? Right? He was speaking to a people who had their own priorities and their own wants before Jesus. He was speaking to a people that thought he was crazy and foolish for doing what he was doing. Right? He was speaking to a people that never looked up to Jesus. Right? He was speaking to a people that would rather be drunk in their own sinful desires than to know God himself. Right? Does this sound familiar to anyone? Noah was speaking righteousness to people, and because he was doing the will of God, he found favor in the eyes of God. Do you hear me, youth? Right? Because Noah was speaking the things of the Lord. He found favor in the eyes of God. You see, the relationship we have with Jesus isn't one of condition. Right? Meaning that because I do this, he's going to do this. Right? Meaning that if we obey him, then we will see a favor of the Lord because we are his. We are his people. Right? We are part of his kingdom. Right? Yeah, a good king takes care of his people. A good father takes care of his family. Right? And it's who we are. Right? We're part of his family. And that's our relationship with Jesus. It's one of obedience and it's one of love. Genesis chapter 6, verse 13 says, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. We've established two things so far today, right? The world is full of sin, and that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So when all of this is happening, God began to speak to Noah, telling him he was what was about to happen. He says, The end of all flesh has come before, him, before me because the earth is filled with violence. God tells Noah, I'm going to destroy all of man on the earth, right? What a crazy thing it is, right? That he hears from God and the, one of the things he tells him is that I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going to destroy everyone. And it's so like, what? What? Right? So that's what's happening. But listen, this is what he tells him next. This is verse 14. It says, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood and you shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. God tells Noah, hey, I'm about to destroy the earth because it's evil. Build a boat out of gopher wood. What? That's what he does. He does it real quick, right? God tells Noah, hey, I'm about to destroy the earth because it's evil. Build a boat out of gopher wood. 
Real quick turn. Take a moment to understand the depth about what's happening here, about what, what's going on in this story. Right? Take a moment to understand it. First, God was speaking to him, which was amazing for God to audibly speak to you, but that's what was going on. And second, God told you that he was about to destroy everything you know and everyone you know. And then right away on the third thing, he says, without question, go make a boat. That's what he tells him. Doesn't even give him a chance or a second to process about what he just said. Tells him, go build a boat, right? We'll talk about the ark here in a second. But after God gave him instructions on how to build the boat and how to build the ark, in verse 17, it says this, Behold, I, even I, bringing the, the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all the earth, in which is in the breath of life from under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. Do you see it? Do you see it yet? God told Noah that he was going what he was going to do. God gave Noah instructions on, on what to what to do. Right? He didn't tell him why, he didn't tell him what was happening. So God gave Noah instructions on what he was going to do. And then God gave Noah instructions on what to do next. Right? He didn't tell him what didn't tell him why. Right? And then in verse 17, he told him why. How much trust in God do you have to have in order to live life like that? You're going through a storm. God tells you to do something that seems out of left field. But when you go and do it, you find yourself praising the Lord that you did it because of the outcome afterwards, right? When I was 16, God convicted me about music, right? You just listen to so much music, so much worldly music, secular music, non-Christian music, along with Christian music, right? This is what it's the world I lived in. I thought it was okay. I thought it was fine, right? And I didn't know it, but there was a moment where God told me, delete the, delete the music, delete the secular music, delete the music that does not honor me. And I was like, are you sure? I mean, it's good music. I like listening to it. I learn from it. I do this, I do that. But God said, delete it. And I didn't know it then, but God used that platform to open up so many conversations. You see, what I did next is I, I went home, yeah, and I went to my computer and I deleted all the music that didn't honor God. And I had about three gigabytes of Christian music left. But I made it a point, and God, I, know, I feel like it was God putting it in me, that I wanted to find Christian music of every genre. I wanted to find Christian hip-hop, Christian rap, Christian uh, tejano, every type of music, right, Christian metal. And I wanted to find every type of music, and, and, and I made it a mission for myself. And it was kind of what I was known for for a little bit. But before I knew it, God made that platform and opened so many conversations about music. I was able to speak to people about Jesus because of music. Now, when God speaks, we ought to listen because he knows the end of the story. Do you hear me? When God speaks, we ought to listen because he knows the end of the story. Now, let's talk about the ark. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14 says this. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Verse 16, you shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. And you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Just to give you an idea how big this thing was, this is about a third the size of the Titanic. You go look it up. You go find pictures. This is where we find the type of Christ we're looking for. This is where we find Christ in the story of Noah. A couple things we should take from the ark, from the characteristics of the ark. The ark was made of gopher wood. It had one way in, it had one way out. The whole thing was covered with pitch inside and out. And finally, we know the ark carried all its passengers safely to the destination that God had prepared 
for them. The ark was constructed of gopher wood. This one's real easy. The cross was made of wood. It's the cross that Jesus died where it provided our salvation. It was at the cross that death lost. It was at the cross that our sins and our debt was paid. It was at the cross that all these things happened. Right? It's, like it's at the cross where we meet Jesus for the first time. Right? And we go in one direction. Right? It's at the cross where all this happens, where salvation occurred. It's the most obvious one. We connect to the cross of Christ. The second thing, it had one way in and one way out. God instructed Noah to build a door on one side of the ark. The door was the only way in and the only way out of the ark. Here's the thing we find out later in the story. Noah had no way of closing it. The waters were coming. The flood waters were coming. The door was still open. And Noah had no way of closing it. But you know who did? God did. God was in control of that door. The only way into the ark, the only way into salvation, God had controlled it. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There's only one way to salvation, and that is through that door. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. There's only one door. His name is Jesus. Another thing is that the door was put on the side of the boat. It kind of reminds us of the side that was struck by the, by the, by the spear from the Roman soldier while Jesus was on the cross. It's a reminder for us of Christ's pierced side. The next thing, the whole thing was covered in something called pitch, inside and out. It was covered in Pitch was a type of tar that was used to make the ark water sealed. It was used to make the, thing, the whole thing water, water tight. So no water can get in, no water can get out. Right? This represents the blood of Jesus Christ. The atonement uh, that he brings. Right? The pitch represents the atonement for our sins. Oh, the blood of Jesus that makes us white as snow. When we believe in Christ, the Son of God, and we accept him as Lord and Savior, our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. So when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but rather the blood of his son. He sees his son, Jesus, right? His blood puts a seal, like a mark on us, right? Saying that we are his, that we belong to him, and that we are covered and forgiven and washed away, washed white as snow. Very simple thing. The pitch represented the blood. And finally, we know that the ark carried all its passengers safely to the destination that God had prepared for them. Genesis chapter 6, verse 18 says, this is God talking to Noah. He says this, And I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. This is the way to salvation, to get on the ark, to get on the boat. Every passenger who was on the ark would be carried to a place where God prepared for them. Right? God instructed Noah to take his family and the whole boatload of animals to be safe on the ark. To think that a boat could teach us so much about Jesus. It's salvation. One thing I want to read to you, just to end this. This is, this is a quote from Robbie Zacharias, speaking about faith. It says, When Noah was building his ark, God gave him detailed instructions for everything. How high? No higher. How long? No longer. What species to include and what numbers? Details ad nauseum. But when all had been done according to God's instruction, and the door was finally shut, it must have been a terrifying experience to realize that there was no sail 
or rudder on this ark? He asked the question at the end, who was in control? Today, more than ever, we should trust God. We should trust Jesus. This church, our church, is constantly, constantly preaching and telling you guys to get on the boat. It's time to get on the boat before it's too late. Before we can't no more. Get on the boat before we can't anymore. Get on the boat before the door closes. You see, Christ is coming soon, youth. Christ is coming real close. And we get a small picture of what the world is going to be like before he comes. But he's coming real soon. And that every day he, that he gets closer to coming is the door slowly closing more and more. It's time to get on the boat. I implore you to seek Jesus now before it's too late. To know him now as Savior instead of knowing him as judge later. I implore you, seek God today for today is a day of salvation. Are you saved? Can you say full in your heart that to today if something were to happen that I'm going to be present with the Lord? If not, and you want to be saved, and if you want to know Jesus, I want you to pray with me. I want to lead you in prayer. If you've never accepted Jesus, I want to pray with you. So right where you are, close your eyes. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed. This is a time of joy. Don't be embarrassed or anything. With all the respect in the world, we're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes. Now, we're going to say a prayer, but repeating the prayer isn't what saves you. This is just a simple way of declaring to God that you are relying on Jesus as your Savior. There is no key words that result in salvation, none of that. No magical words, no nothing. Listen, it is only your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that can save us. If you understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, in need of salvation, let's close your eyes. Repeat this after me. Saying, God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I deserve the consequences of my sin. However, I am trusting in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe that his death and resurrection provided for my forgiveness. I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and forgiving me. Amen. Won't you give God the glory? Won't you give him all the honor because he deserves it? Because he's good and he's always been good and he's always faithful. He's always there on time. He's always going to show up. I love that about him because he's never, ever short of time. He's always right on time, right where we need him, right where he needs to be. He's faithful. Let me pray for you guys if you can. So once again, let's just bow our heads. Let me pray for you. Right. Father, we just thank you, God, for everything you're doing, God. We just thank you, God, for always being with us, always taking care of us, God. We thank you, God, for allowing us to be in our home safely, God. We thank you, God, for allowing us to, 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 to watch this, this sermon, this message, Father God, and that we continue to learn from you, God. That you give us the ability to, just, to still read your word. You give us the ability to just still pray to you. You give us the ability, Father God, to still share your word online or wherever we are, Father God, to our families, Lord. 
I ask you that this word, Father God, that we heard today resonate in our souls today, that it doesn't stay with us, but that we pass it on to someone else. I just ask you, Lord, to use us in our homes, God, even though we're limited on what we can do, Father God, but I ask you, Lord, to just help us be a light in the darkness. Right? I ask you, Lord, for the salvation in our homes, Father God, for those who aren't saved in our homes, Father God, that you meet them where they are, Father God, and you continue tugging at their hearts, Lord. I ask you, Lord, for peace and for patience in our hearts, right, Lord, that in the time of trouble and in the time of this pandemic, Father God, and we see the light at the end of the tunnel, that you continue to give us patience, God, that we don't get fed up with what we're doing or bored with what we're doing, God, but that we, we find peace in you and we find patience in you, Father Lord. God, I ask you for a cure for this virus, Lord, that it be found soon. And Father God, that it may be uh, inexpensive, so it may be passed around quickly, Father God. I ask you, Lord, to help us get rid of fear, Father God, and for us to have faith, Lord, that you don't let us be fearful in the things of the world, Father God, but we, have, we are faithful, God, in the things of heaven, Lord. Help us be the light in the darkness. Help us be like a city on a hill. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We don't know where we would be without you. And we thank you, God. We thank you, God, for everyone who, who heard today, Father God. We thank you, God, because you've been good. You've been so, so good. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. We all said, amen. So that's it, guys. Thank you guys for watching. Hope today was a blessing. If you haven't done so, guys, text CLAY, C-L-A-Y, to 84576. That way we can stay up to date to everything that's happening with, with, our, with, our, with our ministry, with everything that's happening here at church. Stay faithful, you guys. Pray for each other. Pray for us. And we love you. We miss you. We'll see you next time.